Greetings, faithful listeners, and welcome back to episode 110 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. As you've already noted by now, if you're a regular listener, I am not the wizard. Gandalf is not with us today. And so in his absence, Matt and I decided to do a standalone episode uh, rather than moving the story forward. Not that we move the story forward too much anyway. Um, I feel like I'm being thwarted on contributing to Genesis 22 is really what's happening. This this feels like a conspiracy. <laughs> well, it's your favorite passage, and we're just trying to hold you back. It's the forbidden fruit, man. Um, <laughs> so Hey, but you know what? To your point, it, I know we talk about and joke about that we go too slow through the story. But and we still leave uh, stuff out. <laughs> we still leave stuff out. So that's what we're going to use today's episode for. But also, uh, for those of you who have not uh, liked, subscribed, plus marked, shared the podcast, left us a review. If you're open to do that, we sure would appreciate that. It makes a huge difference. Up- uplifts our spirits and also presses the the podcast further and further out there for other people to encounter and be blessed by. So for those of you who have, thank you. For those of you who will, thank you. And for those of you just listening, hey, thank you too. You don't have to, but you are. We're blessed by that. Gandalf is going to be oh so proud that you were like, subscribe, and tell a friend guy at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> yeah, except I just didn't like threaten them. I just said thanks. That's right. You're not being coerced. Uh... <laughs> That's right. More, uh, more flies with honey. What is it? What's the saying? Um, uh, <laughs> oh but gosh. it's funny because when he coerced people, we had this huge uptick in the number of listeners who subscribed. So, you yeah. Know, uh, um, guilt produces results always. There it is. Um, hey, r- really quick. Last week uh, when we were recording, we were talking about Mount Moriah and he said Moria. Uh, and I was listening <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> I was listening to the podcast, and I got a good laugh out of it. And I just said, "No, no, you Lord of the Rings lover, it's it's Mariah." Well, as I listened to the podcast uh, this week after it was published, I got hung up at one point and said Moria as well. <laughs> so there it is. It's like you get it, you get it on the brain, and you can't get it out. But uh, today we're not even going to be in Genesis twenty-two. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm one and Genesis four, and there's a reason for that. And that reason is, is that the Bible is the deepest diamond mine you could possibly imagine. The longer you spend in there, the more you uncover. And as slow as we go through the text, there's just always more. And we just wanted to have an episode to give an example of that, but also talk about this principle the scripture that Nathan's going to take us to today. Well, you know, uh, this is this hits me on two levels. One, a seminary professor, um, and this was in our hermeneutics class um, that I was I was grading for. By and, the way, heads up, tell folks what hermeneutics is. Oh, so hermeneutics is usually defined as the art and science of interpretation. Interpretation. Um, I, I love uh, an, a meaning uh, definition that was given by uh, an actual philosophical hermeneutics scholar. He said. Hermeneutics is the study of meaning and making meaning and investigating meaning. Um, anyway, uh, but in this hermeneutics class that I was grading for, uh, the professor said, you know, we're talking like a lot of critical things, theories and things like that, different lenses that we can look at the scriptures through. He said, let me give you a few general principles. And I love one of the general principles he gave. He said, if you've ever read and studied the Bible, whether for devotional use or to prepare a sermon or a Bible study, and you think you've exhausted all the implications of that passage, you should probably read it again. Yeah. Um, and then, so, uh, 
And that, that's, that's how I feel every single week. Um, you know, mm. uh, whether we're doing the podcast or talking about the Bible, uh, just one-on-one Matt. Uh, yeah, but I also, it, I also just got back from Disney. And so this was the first time I've gone to Disney as a father. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're riding these rides that I rode in my childhood. Um, but I'm riding them with a different lens this time. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the very first ride that we rode is in the magic kingdom. Since you called the Bible a diamond mind, it was the seven dwarves mining. Adventure oh yeah. I love ride. that ride. You know, hi, ho, you know, all that. Yeah. And I had, I went on this ride that I've been on several times before, but there was just things I picked up because I was riding it differently. Yeah. Uh, and I, the Bible is like that. Sure. So t- today in looking at that principle, it's major shocker here that the very first Psalm talks about this. Um, it talks about digging in the word of God, essentially, uh, before I read the psalm, one of the things that I uh, have shared with uh, folks I have the privilege of being a minister to is I don't really see a whole lot of commands in the Bible, if any, to read the Bible. Rather, it's it's different. It's not to not read it, but rather to study it, to dwell on it, to, to chew on it. And uh, Nathan, you gave a, a great example uh, from Jeremiah in our pre-recorded Eat this conversation. Book. Eat this book. Um, so Psalm one, there's nourishment talks about there. this. Yeah. Psalm one talks about this and, uh, Nathan, why don't you read Psalm one and then we'll get to Genesis four and, uh, um, I'll read that, but, uh, kind of walk us through this principle of what we're talking about of just, yeah, yeah there, there's always more to see. And the way you see that is through meditating on the word of God through chewing on it. Well, one quick example, uh, we watch Home Alone every Christmas, and we've just come through the Christmas season, and the original uh, Home Alone. Occasionally, Buzz, we'll watch Home girlfriend. Alone too. <laughs> hey, by the way, do you know that that was a guy with a wig on because uh, the directors did not want to denigrate a woman or, or a, a young girl, so they made a that was a boy with a wig on that picture. Of Buzz's well, how girlfriend. about that? Right. How about that? Yeah, but. But anyway, what's what's interesting is that there was a detail in the movie that I'd never seen before, and I've watched that movie at least a hundred times. And it was in the beginning when uh, they have the episode with the pizza and the mess in the kitchen when all the drinks spill. Uh, and uh, for instance, Buzz acts like he's going to vomit, and then Kevin attacks him. When all of that spills, the dad reaches down and starts mopping up the table, and he throws away. Kevin's passport and airplane ticket. And I'd never seen that before. I have not noticed that. And it shows it drop itself and he drops it into the trash can and it's the passport and his airplane ticket. That's how they were able to get out and think everybody was there. How about that? How about mind blown in real time, mind blown. Like in my my brain, the NBC, like the more you know is is going off in my head. And it, what was funny is I pointed out to Andrea, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I can't, I've never seen that. She said, oh, I, I saw that the first time I watched the movie. I was like, oh, well, of course. But okay, Gandalf's for the rest cha- of us. Gandalf's going to chastise us because we're eight minutes in and we haven't read scripture. Yeah. But anyway, roll with it. So to kick us off eight minutes in, listeners, this is Psalm 1, as always, from the ESV. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So we've talked previously that later in the Bible is almost always riffing off earlier in the Bible. And so when you read this psalm, there are themes that this stuff is introduced really, really early in the Scripture. And we're going to look at Genesis 4. But before we read it... Lots of key words in Psalm 1. Yeah. I'm going to read Genesis 4, and I'm just going to hit a couple high points. I'm not going to read the whole thing, uh, but to remind you of the story of what happened there. Um, I'm going to pick up in verse number one. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought of the first fruits of his flock in their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you so, or why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Um, Oh, I wonder what that Hebrew word is. Is that acceptable sacrifice? I wonder. Interesting. All right. And you do not do well. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to look at this, but you know the rest of the story. Cain kills Abel, and then God confronts him and says, listen, you are going to be banished. Uh, in verse number 11, he says, And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground. From your face I shall be hidden. Oh, that's so interesting. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. We can stop there for today. But Nathan, tie these two things together. Uh, yeah, so it's neat. Uh, in Psalm 1, you've got a guy, uh, the, the guy who meditates on the law of the Lord. And look at the imagery used. He's like a tree producing great fruit planted by a river. If you're reading the Bible from cover to cover, what does that make you think of? Uh, the tree of life, the Garden of Eden, the rivers flow down to fill the whole earth. Ding, ding, ding. And then you've got this other guy, uh, the way of the wicked, and it and and you see a progression. A lot of a lot of scholars capture the progression of the way of the wicked in in Psalm one uh, one and two, um, uh, that the the wicked guy walks in the council. So you go from walking to taking a stance in the way of sinners to sitting, dwelling, putting up residence somewhere that you were not supposed to be in the seat of scoffers. Mm. 
Yeah, can, which is can you can you think of who who in the Bible who are who are our first travelers in the Bible? Right. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the Cain and his descendants. That's it. You know, when when Adam and Eve sinned, they're put outside of the garden. Uh, when God, um, we can come back to this so much to this, we won't even fit it in. We'll have to do another standalone episode, and Gandalf gets two weeks off. Man, it's like we're building a vacation plan into the podcast contributions. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Adam and Eve are put outside of the garden. They have Cain and Abel outside of the garden. God warns, you know, God is still active in the story. He, uh, Eve says, I've had a male child with the Lord's help. God's still involved. God warns Cain before he kills his brother. But after Cain kills his brother, what happens? He becomes a wanderer. He has to move farther away. And even though God makes him a wanderer, Cain doesn't wander indefinitely. What does he ultimately do? He builds a city. He builds a city. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. We don't have time for this, but uh, I, I am so convinced to my core that Paul picks this up uh, in, in the book of Ephesians. We just don't have time for it today. But I, man, it's hard not to hear a little bit of that Genesis story in Psalm 1, which is so significant because for Psalm scholars, Psalm 1 is a thematic introduction to the entire book, right? The entire Bible and the entire book, um, or or not a thematic introduction to the entire Bible, a thematic introduction to Psalms, yes, but that it's picking up on themes from the entire Bible. Yes, that's it, um, or, or certainly the parts that come before. In other words, these uh, what we're saying is these, for the psalmist, these are not just abstract ideas; these are concrete images. So, Nathan, I want to also point out the wicked are not so. This is verse four, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What's in interesting when you think about this, that the way of Cain and the way of Seth, and because there's the brother that replaces Abel, the way of Adam's children and the way of Cain's children, um, that ultimately all of Cain's descendants perish. They are wiped away. There is no memory. There is no historical evidence left of them outside of the writing of Scripture. They have been completely wiped away by the flood. Uh, yet, Adam's children have inherited. Seth's children have inherited the earth. It's just, it's just neat to like. It's there. This is a real theme that is introduced in the Bible that a wanderer who leaves not just the the presence of God, the face of God. But he goes out away from the commands of God, and then in doing so, ultimately is forgotten. I, I, yeah, I, th I think these things connect. You know, it is interesting. You were asking about the word for accepted in Genesis 4. I'd never caught this. I'm not positive that it's intentional word wordplay, um, mm -hmm. but Cain is told if he does what is right, um, mm -hmm. then he will be accepted, right? Mm -hmm. That word in Hebrew is sheh, right? The word for what happens, he does what is wrong and kills Abel, and Abel is replaced with another son named Safe. Oh, So you go from Safe to Safe. Uh, I don't know if it's wordplay or not, but it's interesting. So there's another thing, and I believe we mentioned this, Nathan, uh, but there's another thing that there is a detail here that I heard in a discussion amongst some Old Testament scholars one time about that sin is crouching at the door and going back to Genesis 4 and verse number 7. Yeah, what door? That's 
what door? We often think of that as the door to Cain's heart. Like when it's preached and taught, it's it's like, hey, Cain, like sin is right there crouching at the door of your heart, and you you need to master this because if but not, it's going to rule. Yeah, but we've just we're, we're we're not far removed from an actual entrance exit door being mentioned in scripture, being guarded by cherubim, uh, and that has a flaming sword. And what's interesting is I'm reading through the Bible this year in the New Living Translation, um, but I'm now just past this week and the instructions for the construction of the tabernacle and the construction of the Ark of the Covenant, and it talks about above the mercy seat, which is the lid which sits on top of the Ark of the Covenant, there are two golden cherubim, and that God would speak to the priest between the cherubim in the Holy of Holies that, as we've said so many times, the place where heaven meets earth, which is what Eden was. And I don't know why I'd never thought about this before, but there, there's a couple of things, and this is why we went to Psalm 1, is that thinking about Genesis 4, I'm not actually preaching a message from Genesis 4 this Sunday, but thinking about it more, like if you simplistically say from the scripture, Nathan, who offers sacrifices to God in the Bible? Priesthood. What are you if yeah. you do that? You're priests. Like Adam and his children were priests. Like, I don't know why it never occurred to me. Now, we know that in Genesis chapter two, uh, to be reminded to, to keep the temple, to keep the garden is the same language that is used for the priests as they tend to the temple and the tend to the tabernacle. But I just never thought of except there there's a whole book on acceptable behavior for priests it's called leviticus on how to offer acceptable offerings and and i think that's something that's here um and by the way if you don't offer acceptable offerings it'll pollute the land and i i'll send you out well you know and i, and mean, I think about one, one of the things i talked about i'm I'm not saying there's no priestly ministry in the garden, right? But but for me, sure. there's, and this is something I'll talk about in one of our studies coming up, the priestly ministry takes on a new dimension when you're no longer in the garden, right? Mm -hmm. This is the whole, why is Abel's sacrifice more acceptable to God? Why is that even a thing? Um, Hebrews tells us that he gave, right? He he gave by faith. What, what, why, does he, right. why does he have to give by faith? Uh, Hebrews tells us, uh, this is Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel, Abel offered to God a more acceptable, interesting wordplay, sacrifice right. than Cain, uh, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Why, why is Abel's offering more acceptable? Why, why is the offering regarded as a sacrifice? What is what is interesting about doing this outside of the garden instead of inside the garden? Inside the garden, before sin, there were no thorns and thistles. Inside the garden, right. you can eat from the tree of life. You can take life for granted. Outside of the garden, it's toilsome labor. Things don't cooperate. Right. You're not in. You're not in the garden, and well, so you're against. Can the I element. make a comment from Psalm one? Yeah. Inside, outside the garden, fruit is produced in season. Inside the garden. Fruit is always there. That's it. That's it. Um, and so outside of the garden, offering things to God comes at a cost, right? 
And so mm. it's a bigger deal that uh, Abel brings his his best or his first. His He gives something by faith. He's acknowledging the degree to which God is still involved in the story, even though mankind is outside of the garden. And he does, he seems to be doing so in a way that Cain does not, um, both implicitly right. through the way we read it in Genesis 4 and explicitly through the way we read it in Hebrews 11. Um, but it, it's interesting how that priestly ministry, again, to your point, they're not in the garden, but they're not far from the door. Right. So, so another thing, Nathan, and this is kind of what it launched our conversation. I'm working on stuff this weekend for Genesis four, and I had some thoughts and I wanted to bounce them off Nathan. And then it brought some thoughts for him. And like, that's, first of all, this com this podcast is meant to be a conversation to spark, not just our thoughts, but your thoughts. And we love getting feedback from you of, Hey, when you all were talking, I thought about this. We got two emails yesterday from people that, Hey, I thought about this when you all said that. And, um, one of the things that occurred to me and to how this ultimately point towards points towards the gospel is when you talk about the word obedience, especially, I mean, um, if you've grown up in church, that, that is a word that is talked about all the time. In fact, you'll even hear Christians say, listen, the Christian life is summed up by one word, and that is obedience. Do what God says, period. No questions asked. And man, the Lord also, let me be clear, the Lord expects obedience. He is calling us to obedience. And in no way, these comments I'm about to make, I'm not trying to diminish obedience uh, because obedience is the expectation of of of, uh, act, uh, of behavior and position of heart when God is in your midst. You know, Nathan's told us that so many times. Yeah, but but again, it, it, we don't always nuance, nuance that well in the church because I think of Paul. Like Paul mm -hmm. says, the righteous will live by faith, and then right. Paul. Paul talks about the epokoepisteos, the obedience of faith. Of faith. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's it's not for them this cold legalistic concept. The the right so, things that we do, the obedient things that we do are themselves an expression of faith. This is it's able offering so the better good. sacrifice. <laughs> so uh the first command in scripture, Nathan, what is it? The absolute first command is and we read about it be in Genesis fruitful. two. Well, we, yes, be fruitful. Multiply but the first the com first command of uh, do not do this. Uh, you got be fruitful and multiply, and then you also oh yeah have, don't eat from the tree, don't eat from the tree. So the next command that we have you meant like the first prohibition, yeah, yeah the first prohibition. I'm sorry, uh, but it it still goes. I mean you've got the but interestingly positively and negative you have food imagery. Be fruitful. Don't eat from this tree. That's right. But now, what's the first command that we find in Genesis 4? It is an admonishment to Cain that God speaks to Cain, and why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, and it's not worded like a command, but it's clearly instruction that, hey, listen, You'll just do what you're supposed to do. If you will obey, you'll be accepted. And here was the, the um, reflection I had on this yesterday. God's invitation of calling Cain to obedience 
is not offering Cain readmittance into Eden. Like, if you obey, you can come back to Eden. That's not it. Rather, God's instructions to Cain regarding mastering sin were not directions back to Eden, but a deterrent, but a deterrent from keeping Cain from going further east. And we've talked about this theme so much. And I think this is something that we miss in the obedience discussion in the scripture. Like obedience does not fix the problem. Obedience does not take us back to Eden. It just prevents us from going further away and it keeps us close to God and it allows us to enjoy the blessing of the, the enjoyment of being close to him, but it doesn't take us home. It yeah, doesn't I, take us back to Eden. And I love, and that's why I love, you know, putting this in dialogue with Psalm one, because the, the obedient one, the one who meditate, there's delight is in the law of the Lord on his law. He meditates day and night, right? What's, mm -hmm. what's the image you get for that guy? He's the tree planted by the streams of water. That's right. Yields its fruit in season. Again, Eden, Eden imagery. The other guy, what is he? He's a guy who wanders in the wrong direction. That's right. It's Cain, man. It is Cain. Uh, and, it's, it's, and he ends it's up dwelling just, in a place God never intended him for. But the limitations of obedience, like our obedience to God does not fix the problem of our exile. It still requires the great and mighty acts of God to bring his people home. Yeah, it, it, it requires still required a savior. It re yeah, Someone I was gonna say it requires a better priest than Cain or Abel. It requires a better sacrifice than Cain or Abel. It it requires Jesus, who is both the good shepherd and the Lord of the garden. Uh it, yes. It, man, there's good stuff there. Yeah. Well, I um there's always more, and I'm sure somebody's shouting at the podcast right now, like, but have you considered this in Genesis four? Um, I feel like there, there was one more thing that you were going to say about Genesis 4. Wasn't there one more thing you were going to say? Oh, there's lots. I mean, it's it's, it's the nature of sacrifice. It's it's the... Oh, you were talking about... Giving. You were comparing yeah. it to giving and tithe. Yeah. Like, that, you know, again, comparing it to when Melchizedek. we think of... Uh, it's back to the language of obedience and faith. Uh, you know, when when we think of offering sacrifices, we think of law, we think of responsibility, we think of... Uh, obligation, right? But right. but again, if you're reading the Bible cover to cover, uh, the first person said explicitly to exercise faith, show trust, is Abraham. Abraham believed, amen, God, and it was credit to him as righteousness. But if you're reading Hebrews 11 and you're walking through the hall of faith, the first example of faith is Abel, and it's on the basis of the offering he brought. Uh, and man, mm -hmm. that, that got me thinking in our Psalm 1, Genesis 4 discussion, it's interesting how many times in Scripture you go from a God did this or a trust the Lord in this, and the first concrete follow-through they'll give is an offering. You right. know, so Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, my, my father's favorite verses in the whole Bible. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Uh, acknowledge him or, or literally in all your ways know him, and he will uh, make straight your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Uh, it will be healing to your uh, flesh and refreshment to your bones. But when it's giving the first concrete thing, 
honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. First Corinthians 15. This is the passage, this is the, the most grandiose, majestic passage on resurrection. Jesus's resurrection and, and the end of all things. First Corinthians 15. And, and following up on that, in 1 Corinthians 16, what does Paul say? Now concerning the collection. Yeah. Now, when you gather on the first day of the week, pass the plate. Yeah, that's right. Like, uh, you know, this is the same Paul who encourages the Corinthians. The Corinthians got so many things wrong, uh, but when, but they got some things right, too. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he talks about— It didn't about, stop him from taking an offering, though. That's right. <laughs> Y'all uh, got a lot of trouble. Uh, and an and he looks at the way they give, not again, not the— not the count of the offering, but the cost of the offering. That's he right. looks at it as this, this this joyful participation in the purposes of God. Uh, you know, uh, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They gave according to their means, and I can testify beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then uh, and then, by the will of God to us. Like, giving there is this expression of faith, right? Um, right. So I, I just think it's, I think it's interesting. The first concrete example of we see that is the priestly offerings, or would-be priestly offerings, of Cain and Abel outside of the garden. One yeah. seems to delight in the Lord. He gives by faith of the best stuff when he's no longer in the renewable resource garden, Abel, and God smiles on it. This guy's like a tree who's putting down roots as close to the door of the garden as he can. The other guy seems to take that lightly. He ends up disobeying, and it moves him farther from the garden, farther. not just out of farther. it. Farther, yeah. So, Nathan, we're out of time for today. But in just listening to you talk right there. So, for instance, we often think of if you're blessed, you're cursed. Oh, um, excuse me, not excuse me. If you're doing bad, you're cursed. And if you're doing good, you're blessed. And I think on, the only place in the Bible where that is purely applied is the garden. Because in the wilderness, there are other sources for bad things to happen. We have a whole book called the Book of Job, uh, stuff like that. But I think. Well, Abel, Abel does the right thing and his brother kills him. So true. So true. But, but often we can wonder what is, what is the reward of obedience? You know, you do all you're supposed to do and bad things still happen. And it, just as you were talking, it reminded me of something my pastor used to say. He's with God, with the Lord now. Um, Adrian Rogers, he says, to know him is to love him. To love him is to trust him. To trust him is to obey him. And to obey him is to be blessed by him obedience in God's presence is its own reward. That's that's what we're after. It ru- when you, obedience when you know roots you. you. Obedience is putting down roots in the truth and, and the love of God. That's right. Oh, such a good episode. Gandalf, we missed you today. Thank you all, everyone, for tuning in and look forward to, to getting to our next episode. And Nathan, thank you for uh, just all you do. We missed you last week. So glad that you're back this week. And um, we look forward for everyone tuning back in next Tuesday. Don't forget to like and subscribe or else. <laughs> That's right. All right. We'll see you next time. Shalom. All right. That'll work.